Hello and welcome to the second episode of Tokyo Daily by Where Do We Begin. Glad to have you here. Excited to have you here. Of course, it's the 24th of July, but more importantly, day one of the Games, the first official day. We've got 15 events the Aussies are competing in today. I'm really, really pumped for it. And Lots of stuff going on yesterday, of course. The big thing, of which we'll get into it straight away, you know, um, the opening ceremony. In case you missed it, I, I reckon there would have been millions. I haven't seen the numbers. I reckon there would have been millions and of Aussies watching and billions around the world. In case you didn't see it, of course, Paddy Mills, the basketballer and uh, swimmer Kate Campbell with a flag berth. They did an admirable job of flicking their wrists from side to side. It was very nice to see. Uh, but the, the kind of ceremony itself um yeah it, it was definitely kind of every, everyone does it in their own unique way all, all the different host cities like i enjoyed it to be honest uh, i really think it didn't stray from japanese culture it didn't want to kind of like adapt to what would be super popular um yeah they had lots of kind of traditional stuff in there they had a bit of uh, tap dancing a bit of treadmilling a bit of uh, interpretive dance and uh one of one of their kind of interpretive dances i guess uh was it, it was quite touching honestly it was um paying tribute to the israeli massacre at the munich games in 1972 49 years ago um yeah and there was a moment of silence for that and they told everyone around the world to stand up which was yeah i i, I thought it was really 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 well done despite obviously the tricky circumstances not much of a crowd uh, maybe a couple thousand delegates and officials, including, of course, Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Queensland Premier, and some others. Uh, Jill Biden, Joe Biden's wife, was there as well, if you didn't hear. But uh, a little stat I heard during uh, the opening ceremony from Bruce McEvaney, of course, from the Channel 7 broadcaster here in Australia. There's a Syrian girl uh, by the name, and you can call her, call her a girl because she's 12 years old, and she goes by the name of Zaza Hend. She's a table tennis player from Syria, 12 years old. How how bananas is that? She qualified for the Olympics when she was 11. It's, oh, my God, I, I don't know what I was doing when I was 11. I was probably still wearing nappies when I was 11 to know the, the rate I was going at, uh, going at growing up. But, um, of course, there, there was more happening. It wasn't just the opening ceremony yesterday. There were a few events. There. They didn't have too many because the big thing was the opening ceremony, of course. But the, the ones that might tickle you fancy, if you are an Aussie, uh, which I am, so that's going to be the main theme of this podcast, as always, here on Tokyo Daily. The archery was a big one. But I think most of the Aussies underwhelmed. They'd be pretty disappointed with their performances, I'd say. Alice Ingley in the uh, women's individual ranking round, uh, she finished 57th out of 64. So now she's got a pretty tricky task in her first elimination contest against the eighth-placed uh, Ksenia Perova from Russia. So that is obviously going to be no easy task. It would be amazing if she gets through, but some other stuff happened in the archery. Um, we had the uh, individual men's ranking round as well with Taylor Worth, uh, Ryan Tyak, and David Barnes. Um, Taylor Worth and Ryan Tyak actually won bronze uh, in the team archery in Rio in 2016. It was Australia's first archery medal. But again, I think the Aussies disappointed in this one. Out of the 64 competitors, none of them None of the three Aussies finished in the top half. Uh, 
Worth, Taylor Worth finished 39th. Tyak finished 42nd. And David Barnes finished 50th out of the 64. And those same three men, um, they were in the team ranking round, the men's team ranking round. They finished 11th out of 12. So I believe they're going to go uh, now face the Netherlands in the next round. And there was one other thing in the archery for the Aussies, uh, if you're interested in it. Taylor Worth and Alice Ingley uh, were in the mixed team uh, competition. Uh, but you need to be in the top 16 out of 29 to get through to the next round. They didn't really make it close. They finished 25th out of 29. They'll be disappointed with that. So not a great day for the archers, the bowmen and bow women, the bow people of Australia in Tokyo. Yeah, bit of a disappointing one. But in the rowing, uh, some better news for our, us Aussies. The, uh, the men's quadruple skulls, they finished second in the heat to qualify for Tuesday's final. So that is a potential gold medal, a potential medal that we could see on Tuesday. Uh, of course, Jack Cleary, Caleb Antill, Cameron Griddlestone, and Luke Letcher. And there were a couple other things in the rowing, of course. The women's double skulls, they finished third uh, in their heat. Uh, so they're, they're into the semifinal on Monday. And the women's quadruple skulls team, they finished fourth in the heat. Uh, so they didn't make it straight through to the next round, um, but they're, they're actually going to go into a, what's called a repage, which is on Sunday, and it's basically the kind of the best of the rest and the best of those uh, competitors make it into the next round and will remain in medal contention. Of course, there was one other sporting event, very, very important to the Olympics, my favourite thing to watch in the Olympics. It was the equestrian dressage. It wasn't the actual equestrian dressage. It was the first horse inspection, a monumental moment in any Olympics, the first horse inspection in the equestrian dressage. So, yeah, uh, you guys have missed it now. But if you want to tune in 2024, put it in your diary, Paris 2024, the equestrian dressage horse inspection. It's great stuff. And in other news, uh, recapping from yesterday and last night, um, an Algerian judoka, judo judo athlete called uh, Feti Nuran, he withdrew actually from the games at really um, on the eve of the games due to the possibility of facing an Israeli opponent because he's a big supporter of the Palestinian cause. I think everyone knows about the landscape going on in that part of the world at the moment. And if he beat uh, the Sudanese athlete uh, Mohammed Abdul Rasul, he would have faced the Israeli Toha Butbul in the next round and he just wasn't having any of it. To be honest, he, he withdrew. So controversial one, but a very interesting one nonetheless. And another withdrawal from uh, more the Aussie side of things, the Aussie side of the coin, um, cyclist Rowan Dennis. He hasn't withdrawn for the whole games, but he's a two-time time trial world champion. He pulled out of the road race in the cycling, which was a very, very interesting one. He just wants to focus on time trial. And fair enough, really. That's what he's going to be really kind of aiming for a medal in his best shot at a medal so fair enough i reckon but that, that's about all that happened yesterday to most short and sweet so what we're going to do now we're going to get into some previews of course the tennis starts tomorrow one of the big events at the olympics some huge names uh playing in the olympics some huge names have withdrawn as well to, uh, i got a guy on to, uh, to the show to speak all about he goes by the name of courtney walsh he writes for the australian a great journal so i'm going to throw over to my interview with the, our uh, resident tennis expert he'll be coming on the show a few times over the games courtney walsh here he is hi courtney welcome to the show mate thanks for coming on how are you and where are you coming to us from today yeah coming to you from melbourne uh west brunswick i 
love to be in Tokyo, but uh, restriction has made it a little harder to get there. They've, uh, I suppose, understandably cut numbers going into Japan um, and numbers coming back out of Japan given the uh, situation in Australia. So watching the games from home this year. So you usually go? Uh, love to uh, love to go. Uh, no, but I haven't uh, haven't been. I thought I was a chance this oh. year, but not to be. Yeah, uh, unlucky. Hopefully, Paris twenty twenty four. But we'll get straight into it. Um, Absolutely about previews. So the big one for the Aussies: Ash Barty, fresh off a Wimbledon win, uh, winning the final against Carolina Pliskova, of course. So um, of course, it's going to be a tricky run, uh, as always, for everyone, um, for her to get a medal. Even so, tell us a bit about her field in the women's singles. Yeah, there's been some conjecture around. Uh, I noticed even some of my newspaper group uh, saying that it was the top seed, the Wimbledon champion, arriving in Japan to take home the gold. It's a very strong field. We miss Venus Williams, Serena Williams, the first time, I think, since 96 later that they haven't been in the Olympics. Uh, another couple of Americans, Kennan and uh, Coco Goff, are out. But that, those players aside, it's actually a very strong field. You've got the top nine points earners from 2021 headed by Barty in Tokyo. You've got the three Grand Slam winners this year, Naomi Osaka in Australia, Barbara Krzyzewa from uh, Paris, and then Ash Barty from, uh, from Wimbledon there, and 15 of the top 20. So it is far from a walk in the park. If Ash plays very well, and you know, it depends on how she goes after, the, uh, after Wimbledon, whether she suffers a letdown. If she plays well, she's certainly the woman to beat, but it's no walk in the park. She's got a task ahead. And, you know, representing Australia comes with its own pressures, playing for your nation. Um, I was in Perth a couple of years ago for the Fed Cup final. She was favoured to lead Australia to, to glory against France in that uh, in that final uh, and was just beaten in a, in a thriller against Mladenovic. So that hurt her deeply. She wants to do Australia proud. I'm sure she'll do her best. Yeah, and one, one of the big uh, rivals for her is going to be Naomi Osaka. Of course, uh, missed out on Wimbledon because of mental health reasons that were much publicised. Uh, but tell us a bit about her. I'm really interested because born in Japan, she was representing Japan, but she moved to America, I think New York, when she was like three. So do you know how the Japanese people kind of perceive her? Is she one of their own or is she just really an American to them? No, no. Well, it's an interesting one because she's japanese Haitian. Heritage, uh, you know, father's from Haiti, uh, you know, spent a little bit of time in New York, but mainly based in Florida where she played a lot of her tennis all the way through. Uh, didn't play a lot of junior tennis, but when you're with Japan and uh, American citizenship, you need to make a call on your citizenship, I think, by 22. And she made that call to represent Japan, uh, you know, based on her heritage. Japan's very strong in terms of their race. If, if, if you're a mixed race, it's not necessarily... Uh, you're not necessarily as welcomed automatically. That you know, it's documented that there's been different cases of uh, of that being true. But with Osaka, someone as, as a star and clearly the face of the Olympics uh, in Japan, given her high profile, the the wealthiest or the highest paid sports woman in the world, um, clearly they will be hoping that she can produce her best form. No easy task. I think she's only played about eight matches this year, realistically, given. Uh, the Australian Open uh, success where she was outstanding but missed the French Open and also Wimbledon. So she comes into this without a lot of match tennis behind her. Yeah, for me, uh, she's comfortably the most famous Japanese tennis player ever and one of the most famous sports people ever, really. But have the Japanese got any other um, kind of players representing them that have a chance at doing well? Oh, look, absolutely. Look, probably uh, the uh, the... 
her forerunner in terms of uh, fame, Katie Shikori, who's an outstanding male tennis player, formerly world number four, uh, US Open finalist. And the first to really break through, I think, was Project 45. I'll stand corrected on that, but he was dubbed Project 45 because her previous best-ranked player had been 46 in the world before he came along. Nishikori is an outstanding player, one of the better players never to win a Grand Slam. He's got a fascinating first up match against a, a top Russian, Andrei Rublev, who has been one of the best players this year. So it's no easy, uh, I suppose, uh, first up clash for him. But if Nishikori gets hot on hard courts, we've seen before making a US Open final on hard courts, he can be very hard to beat. And he looms as one of the, I think, the Smokies for the men's event. Mm, yeah, that would be an interesting one to see. Um, oh, I don't follow the tennis as much as you, obviously, but I know no, no, that's okay. he's had his struggles with injuries over the years. Um, but oh, yeah, hopefully, uh, it's good. To, always good to see a person from the host nation do well. So hopefully, he kind of gets into the larger stages of the tournament. But um, in terms of the men's singles, more generally, uh, Novak Djokovic is like the big name, widely expected to win it. Um, is there any kind of debate about who's going to win it in your mind, or is he the guy? Look, he's clearly the player to beat. And, uh, you know, if he's able to win a singles gold medal, it would be his first. So that's interesting. Like, he's, he's still to break through at the Olympics. Four years, five years ago now in uh, Rio de Janeiro, he was beaten in the first round by Juan Martin Del Potro in an epic. It was 7-6 in the third. Uh, he left the court in tears. It meant that much to him, that loss. He was devastated by it. Fantastic first round match, two Grand Slam champions against each other. Very, very good form all the way through, obviously. The Australian Open, Roland Garros, now Wimbledon behind him, trying to become the third man in history to win a Grand Slam uh, in New York later this year behind Rod Laver and Don Budge. The query will be whether he suffers a letdown, which is the same query facing Barty, given it was only two weeks ago that they managed to win through and win Wimbledon. And the best of three, as opposed to best of five, makes it a far more even prospect. A lot easier against the legends like Djokovic or Nadal and Federer, who aren't there this year, to beat them in three sets, we've seen it repeatedly, then in five sets where they've got the time to refine, you know, really find their game. So, look, clearly the deserving favourite, but players like uh, Daniel Medvedev, who's made the final in Melbourne this year, uh, Stefano Sitsipas, the French Open finalist, who was very, very good against Novak in Paris, uh, Alexander Zarev's a, a top liner, and even Hubert Hercas, who made a, a semi-final at Wimbledon a couple of weeks ago. They are all capable of, uh, of pushing Djokovic. Yeah, and just a quick answer, a bit of a question without notice here, putting you on the spot, who are the two singles winners for you? Look, uh, based on form, Barty and Djokovic, but that's because of the world number one. So, uh, you know, I think it's still hard to go outside them, but there are, you know, a number of contenders. We'll, uh, we'll be very hard to pick against the world number ones given their form. Yeah, and uh, just off Barty quickly, uh, I know hmm. Kyrgios and Dimonor, a couple of big name Aussies pulling out, but there are there any other Aussies in the singles that we should be keeping an eye on? Look, fantastic from to see Sam Stoza into her fifth Olympic Games, former French Open uh, finalist, US Open winner, who I think she's shown some good signs recently. So she plays a tough one first up. Good to see her win a couple of rounds. Uh, Elia Tomlanovic made a quarterfinal at Wimbledon. She's playing very well. If she can kick on, that's great to see. The men, John Melman, and he's had a bit of a bad back, and James Duckworth. If they can win a couple of rounds, that would be good. I think in the doubles, we're a chance as well. Barty and Sean Sanders. Sanders making her Olympic debut as well. She's been in good form. She practiced with Barty all the way through Wimbledon, was in the box. Nice right-handed, left-handed combination. I don't mind their draw, and I think Barty is an outstanding doubles player, former US Open doubles champion. 
So if she can handle, if she can stand up on her side of the court standards, is there a chance in the women's doubles as well for a medal? Yeah, and anything else interesting happening with the doubles just before we wrap up? Look, I probably, you know, it's it's an interesting one. You know, a couple of outstanding pairs to watch uh, from other nations, but from the Australians, in the men's, by virtue of the system where you play your, your top two sort of ranked players together, we've probably got the combination wrong. We've got Max Purcell and Luke Saville, who are going to their first games, former Australian Open finalists, but by virtue of the way uh, the system or the breakdown works, they're playing with different players. So you've got Purcell with John Pierce, a Grand Slam champion. They're a chance. They're, they're, they're certainly a capable pairing. And John Millman and Luke Saville pairing together. So a little harder, I think, for, for that combination. But fingers crossed uh, at least one of them can push through deep into the semifinal in the middle rounds. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it uh, very much, as I'm sure you are and all our listeners are. Um, but just quickly before we go, any socials, anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, look, no, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy enough to uh, happy enough to come on and, uh, and really nice to be with you. And I hope it all goes well for the games. Obviously, from a patriotic front, it'd be great to see Australia do well, but I just want to see some outstanding performances worldwide. Yeah, look forward to speaking to you later on, mate. Thanks very much for coming. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for that, Courtney. Really appreciate that, uh, mate, coming on the show. I look forward to speaking to you again, as I said, throughout the games, and I hope you guys all enjoyed that little bit of insight into tennis that uh, us hosts really can't provide you. We know a bit about tennis, but we're nowhere near, we don't have anywhere near the expertise of the great man, Courtney Walsh. Now, as I mentioned at the start of the show, 15 sports that Aussies will be competing in tomorrow. So it is a big, big day. Like I said, the first official day of events. We're really getting into it now. It's all heating up. So I'm just going to really go through the schedule for the Aussies. So at 9.30am, all these times are Australian Eastern Standard Time, by the way. So that's on the Eastern Seaboard. Um, From 9.30am, Australian Eastern Standard Time, we've got the women's 10 meter air rifle with Elise Collier and Katarina Kalplos. And then later on in the shooting, we've got uh, the men's 10 meter air pistol with uh, Daniel Repicholi, who, um, pardon the pun, but he's a big gun and he will be, yeah, gunning for a medal, really. And uh, just just after that, from 10 a.m., we have got the table tennis. Uh, so we've got all six uh, members of the Australian table tennis team, including uh, Jian Feng Lei at her sixth Olympics, which is really amazing. Uh, six Olympics, <laughs> astonishing. That's from 10 a.m., the table tennis. Uh, so if that tickles your fancy, turn on the table tennis, of course, on one of Channel 7's 45 platforms across the TV and 7 Plus, of course. And then at 10.30 a.m. in the hockey, we've got uh, Australian men, the Kookaburras, coming up against the hosts, Japan, in a group stage match, a pool match, whatever you want to call it. That's at 10.30 a.m. And then the rowing, around the same time, actually. The, the rowing all kicks off for the Aussies at 10.30 a.m. as well. So we've got the men and the women in the coxless pairs, uh, the fours and the coxless eights. Um, and of course, you guys might have been keeping a bit of an eye on the softball already because the Aussies have played two games, uh, got hammered by Japan really, but beat Italy, looking to make it two in a row, a bit of a streak uh, against Canada at 11am. That's the softball, the Aussie spirit, the women, of course, because uh, there's no softball for men in these Olympics. And then 12pm, big one. Ash Barty, not in the singles, not quite as big as it could be, but in the doubles with Storm Sanders. Uh, Courtney actually mentioned that Ash and Storm are a really good chance for a medal in the doubles. Ash is a great doubles player, he said, and they're coming up against uh, 
local favorites uh, Nao Hibino and Makato Ninomiya from Japan. That's at midday Australian Eastern Standard Time. So come on, Ash Barty. I'm really looking forward to that one. And around the same time, 12 p.m., uh, we've got some Aussie representation in the men's road race in the cycling. Of course, about 40 minutes later, 12.40 p.m., we've got actually all four of the Aussie badminton uh, team. They're in action in the badminton. I'll, I'll, I don't mind a bit of badminton, to be honest. Yeah, let me know what you guys think of the badminton. I, I like watching it. It's really, yeah, re- really good to watch. <laughs> but then about an hour later, uh, 1.40 p.m., we this guy, this guy is an everyone at the games is an astonishing athlete, but this guy is just, oh, the dedication he's got to his sport, and he, this guy's incredible. Safwan Khalil uh, is coming up against a Thai Taekwondo athlete, uh, Ramnarong Sawakihari, uh, in the Taekwondo round of 16 at 1.40 p.m. So, yeah, that will be one to keep your eye on as well. Check your guides for wherever that is being aired. And then at 3.30 p.m., bit of a gap between these two ones. We've got uh, gymnast Tyson Bull. Uh, he finished seventh in the 2019 World Championships in the Horizontal Bar. Uh, so he'll, he'll be trying to get in the top three, of course. Uh, gunning for a medal from 3.30 p.m. in the gymnastics. Tyson Bull, our Aussie gymnast. And then I mentioned the dressage equestrian before. Uh, from 6pm. Our Aussies, we're going to be able to see some Aussies in action from 6pm in the equestrian dressage and 6.30, a huge uh, event. Matildas, this is, um, if they win, they're basically through to the next round, I'm pr- pretty much uh, confirmed, I reckon. If they're through to the next round, if they beat Sweden at 6.30pm, no easy task, of course, because if you listen to the last episode, if you've been keeping an eye on it, Sweden knocked off the world number one, the US, 3-0 just a couple of days ago. So that is a huge class from 6.30pm, definitely, definitely one to watch. And of course, uh, the big event for most Aussies here in this country, the swimming. We've got some heats uh, from between 8 and 10.30-ish. Uh, so that's including the actually the 100-meter freestyle, or 4 by 100-meter freestyle, sorry, the relay team for the women. That one's at 10.15 p.m. So, yeah, definitely, definitely keep your eye on that. Those uh, Aussie women in the 4 by 100-meter freestyle, they're world record holding. So that's going to be big, big, big. And then to wrap it up, uh, the men's beach volleyball, Chris McHugh and Damien Schumann. Uh, against Norway at 11 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. I said that wrapped it up, actually, but a bit earlier on in the day, one of our own, one of our own here at Where Do We Begin from episode 47, Lena Mihailovic uh, and her Aussie Stingers. Her dad actually coaches the team, if you listen to the episode, her dad, uh, Predrag. The Aussie Stingers, the water polo team in the women's water polo, they're taking on Canada at 3 p.m. And if you're watching this, listening to this, wherever you're viewing this or listening to this, you can actually see Lena Mihailovic's goal and the team's goals for the Olympics. We put a bit of an excerpt. Uh, We uploaded that to the podcast page. That's about it for the events we've got today. So, yeah, great stuff happening. But, of course, every day during these Tokyo Daily episodes, we've got a bit of a question of the day. So the one today, give me an answer in the comments on YouTube or tag us on Twitter or on Instagram, wherever you are. What was your moment of the opening ceremony? I presume most of you watched it. You should have been because, yeah, it was a really good event. It's probably the must-watch event of the Olympics, probably the most widely, easily the most widely watched event of the Olympics around the world, I would say. My moment of the opening ceremony, I reckon this was 
quite, yeah, pretty cool actually. So they had these like kind of Olympic rings that they uh, transported and kind of assembled within the Tokyo National, uh, the National Stadium in Tokyo uh, made of wood and the wood uh, that they used to make the rings, uh, that was actually came from these trees that were grown from particular seeds um, taken to Tokyo by international athletes uh, the last time Tokyo hosted the Games in 1964. So what's that, 57 years ago, these trees, 57 years old, they chopped them down, got a bit of wood, made these very nice-looking, very shiny-looking, very polished-looking Olympic rings. So I really like that moment. Let me know your moment of the Games. That just about wraps us up. You guys all know how to support us, whether it's giving us a like, a share, a subscribe, a follow, a review, whatever it is. Um, yeah, we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Whatever platform you're on, uh, we'll see you tomorrow, guys. Thanks.